But thanks to the, there was a team, Lorraine, Lorena and Nicola, who were helping with Kids Online this morning about forgiveness. And there's a real richness in the ministry to the kids. Um, so I just encourage you, if you've got kids, obviously, and you're able to join that, it's on at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings on exactly the same link as you have for the church here. Um, and uh, it's good. Um, they gave a challenge a couple of weeks ago, and it was to draw or make something that reminds you of God and reminds you of Jesus and his love for you. And our Bethany drew, drew this. I know that's kind of small, but you can probably gather there's a cross there. And there's a rainbow and there's a sun. Um, and some of you maybe know this wee story, but when I lost my job last year, uh, a couple of months into lockdown, and it was obviously a huge thing that happened. And we'd been planning to get a puppy. And uh, when Bethany heard I'd lost my job, she came running out to me in the garden outside as I was on the phone, phone call. And she grabbed hold of me, Dad, can we, does this mean we can't get the puppy anymore? <laughs> and do you know just the simplicity of a, a child? She just, she just grounded me down and I just thought, obviously it was overwhelming. I just gave her a hug and it was upsetting. Uh, but still a sense that we were family and God was there. And then next minute I'm kind of on phone calls, phoning lawyers and doing things I never thought I'd have to do to figure out what I have to do with this situation. And uh, Bethany's beavering away in the back garden and they had given out chalks as part of the, I think it was during the kind of uh, the Go Youth Trust thing where they had given boxes out to people, to kids and they had chalk kits. She drew a rainbow and a sun on her steps just in her back garden, just up to the grass. And she wrote something like, um, I like thinking about God, the rainbows, because it makes me feel safe and it reminds me that God loves me. You know, we took a wee picture of that, I think at the time we put it around the church and just said, you know, we're going through a wee hard situation as a family, but there you go, Bethany's preaching to, to us and encouraging us. And that stayed on, it washed off a wee while later, but do you know how God spoke through children, through Bethany's understanding of the gospel? The gospel is not complicated, it is deep and it's powerful into salvation, but it's something that a young child can understand. Isn't that lovely? And you know, half the time we can learn a lot from that because we complicate the gospel. We can complicate Christianity in general, but when it boils down, it's simplicity. So she's, she's written on that, the sun reminds me of God. And of course, the sun does remind you of God. God is light and he's the creator of the world. The sun doesn't rise without God. But, uh, the rainbow reminds me of God, and of course he's promised this. And it was nice during lockdown, wasn't it, that actually one of the positive things that happened was rainbows in people's windows, I thought. And actually, whether people realising it or not, they're actually pointing to God and to the fact we have a creator, we have a sovereign God that's always in control. Amen. And we needed to be reminded of that, a sign of his protection, his sovereignty. And then she's written across the cross, the cross reminds me of God. Well, there you go. That's the sermon finished, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> she wrote, The cross reminds me of God because his son Jesus died on it. The rainbows remind me that God promised to look after the world. I'm just sharing that 
firstly to encourage those who minister to the kids this is what's happening you know um, and i'm sure it's happening with thomas and olivia and others your ministry is very powerful and these kids are going to grow up actually telling us adults how to do things <laughs> uh, but i want you to just keep in mind the centrality of the cross just as we move into one corinthians corinth was a place where people thought they knew a lot of stuff greece was a place full of philosophy and wise thinking and don't we live in a world right now you can search on the internet you can find a, probably an answer to everything you could write a question for right now couldn't you we think we know it all even during the pandemic right now dare i say we're relying on the science as opposed to relying on god amen and it's sad to say that we can rely on man's thinking and man's knowledge and man's science which is what is science science is simply a discovery of an angle of what god has done isn't it remember when nicola was pregnant and we had some difficulty there and she was in getting checked out in the hospital and it turned out thank the lord everything was okay with rachel and the expert doctor came up and he said to us do you know we don't fully understand or even begin to understand the complexities of how a child is formed in the womb we just can't figure it out and there are things that happen we simply can't explain and i thought to myself well good because you're not god and neither am i amen, amen. but we're in a world that just like in this world here you think about greece pretty much like our secular day to day a secular a society that has forgotten about god a society that has made many idols and many philosophies but actually doesn't acknowledge the one true god and doesn't know who he is so that's the scenario paul is kind of preaching into so i think corinthians is really relevant for today 2021 in murraysburn in scotland okay can you move to the next slide nicola sorry it's not working so let's pray quickly father god i thank you for your word i thank you that it's your word and that no one should add or take away from it we pray that the words that i would say today would just be helpful and that you would just take away anything that's not helpful father just help me to be in line with what you would say to me and to us as a church today and we thank you for your inspired word in jesus name we pray amen okay so this um big world <laughs> and it's even bigger now isn't it think of the population difference i don't have the stats i've not looked it up but imagine the difference in the, the world's population now compared to 2000 years ago and uh, evangelizing the gospel would have seemed like a challenge then it's even potentially more of a challenge in terms of numeracy now isn't it but this was a secular world um and we're in this place called corinth in modern day greece now the church john thanks to john for for continuing in corinthians a couple of weeks ago the church had become divided although they were saved they became christians and paul had uh, alongside others had planted this church some people had believed in jesus as a savior amen they were converted Jews, they were converted Gentiles, and they became this new Christian church. But sometime later, maybe even just 18 months later, divisions were developing in the church. And do you know that happens, doesn't it? Because we are not perfect individuals as Christians, and sin creeps in and divisions creep in. The particular divisions they were focused on was, I prefer Paul, I prefer Apollos, I prefer various leaders. And it was creating this division that John had reminded us about. But the reason I'm recapping a little bit on this is Paul comes back to the centrality of Christ in the church. 
Even the statement saying, I follow Christ, was almost as if people were saying, well, I'm superior to you, Nancy. <laughs> I'm a better Christian than you because I follow Christ. There was a bit of superiority just coming in. And the church Jesus, of Jesus Christ is supposed to display the kindness and the love of Jesus, which is a servant heart, isn't it? Serving brothers and sisters, preferring them, loving them like yourself. Not one that creates factions or, or hierarchy. Um, so Paul says, Christ isn't divided, so why are you? But he pulls them back to the main thing that should be uniting Christians together it is the gospel. He says, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he's coming against here. It's important to understand that context I just mentioned, just like our society. We are no alls, and we think we've got things worked out. And he's saying, no, you don't. If we, we can't either subtract from the gospel, the gospel is central to everything we do. Christ is central to everything we do. The cross is central to everything we do. And if you add or remove from it, you will empty it of its power. Amen? That makes sense? Then he addresses the apparent foolishness of the cross. I'll just read this through. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So just pause there a minute. All the wisdom of the world, if you think about the world's wisdom, okay, that's one category, world's wisdom, and the other category is God's wisdom, right? The Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about two different kinds of wisdom. One is worldly, and one is God's wisdom. And he's saying, see all the wisdom of the world that you have had, you still didn't know the true God. So they missed the mark. They've missed knowing God. And Paul had went, um, Paul had went, uh, if I've got this here, no, no, if you go to, in your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Paul, before he came to Corinth, had went, stopped into Athens. And I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to have this on the screen just now. So if you've got your Bible, please turn to Acts 17, verse 16. And what I'm trying to do here is just show you the type of situation that Paul is trying to preach the gospel into in Greece. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epidurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul was preaching the truth and the simplicity and the depth of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And they're puzzled by this because it doesn't seem smart enough for them. It doesn't seem as intelligent as some of the other philosophies 
and things that they're currently discussing. It seems to them foolish. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, the kind of gathering of those philosophers and debaters. And they said to him, maybe know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The society that's always just wanting to do the latest thing, the latest idea. Doesn't that sound like our society today? What's the latest, greatest, best thing that's going to change your life, that's going to make things better for us all, that doesn't include God? Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he has needed anything. So this idea of idols, man-made gods. How can a god be man-made? God's not God if he's man-made, is he? And we know that as Christians, but how futile it is to build objects and religions and faiths that are made by man and call it God. But how many things do we construct in our society or are constructed in Scotland or the UK right now that would set themselves up as the way, the truth, and the life that are not Jesus? It'd be interesting to maybe think about that. Not too hard because we don't want to distract ourselves from God's word. But modern day idols are maybe not quite so blatant as they were in some of those days, but they're there. And anything that sets itself upside up against God is an idol and is a sin. But Paul strongly, but simply points them and says, you don't know this God. You've got all these man-made idols. idols. You think you're serving these idols, but God isn't there to be served. He's, he's God. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Interesting that though, isn't it? That in evangelism, Paul is seeking for ways to try and understand the culture he's preaching into. You know, we we preach into the world, but we don't just talk Christian speak. We talk the the gospel, but we, we use our brains as well. Amen? So you and I have been given knowledge of where people are at. We can also relate to them from where they're at. And the culture that they're from and trying to help and Paul is using some words of their own poets to try and draw out of them do you know when you say in your poems that we are his offspring I know who that is he's the one true living God can I tell you about him it's a great way to connect with people isn't it same as he did with their unknown God he took the inscription they had and he related what they had he didn't go in and demolish them and and go and have massive arguments with them didn't he not I find that interesting. He didn't get in and demolish everything, but he pointed them to God. He took something that he found in their culture and in their belief system and he pointed them to God. Because Paul knew and believed that the gospel in itself 
is the power of God to salvation. He could debate for 25 hours, no doubt, and disagree with them on all their points, but he knew that the way to salvation is preach the gospel. Amen? And we would do well, I think, all of us to remember that today when the world just comes at us and we feel overwhelmed by all their opinions and debates and everything else that actually the gospel is still the same today. Preach it in its simplicity into the society that we live in. So just moving back into Corinthians. And I want just for us to think about how this relates to our society today, because as you walk into a coffee house or the workplace or your family, people have different reactions to the gospel, don't they? And it's based on their own worldview, their own belief system, because I believe everyone has a belief system whether they realize it or not, don't they? Because everyone has a belief about how the world is constructed, even if they say they're an atheist. They believe in something. They believe that they're an atheist and that the world was a big bang and things like that. So what we're doing is trying, in a sense, to understand where they're coming from, but preach God's gospel into it. So we had two groups of large groups of people, the Jews, who were demanding signs, and the Greeks were looking for wisdom. Two different types of cultures, two different types of religious heritage and background. Why were the Jews looking for signs? Well, the Jews, God's chosen people, had experienced miracles all throughout their, their journey with God. Amen? Miracles, provision, manna in the desert. Mighty miracles taking them out of uh, Egypt. Amen? Just miracle after miracle after miracle, but it became a stumbling block to them. You'll know this, don't you, but there's passages in the New Testament where Jesus shows that he is not pleased with this focus of the Jewish people and the teachers of the law. He says in Matthew 12, verse 38, to the, to the Jew, Jewish teachers, they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is saying, away with your telling me to demonstrate signs from heaven. Because your heart's far from me. Amen. God is looking for our love, our affection, our response to who he is. There is Jesus, the Messiah, and the best that the teachers of the law could come up with is show us a sign. It's poor, isn't it? We're, we're not to come to faith to have things done, tricks and things done for us. We're there to receive the love of God and respond to it. But maybe we can be like that today. How would you relate to that today? There is church that becomes entertainment. There is church that becomes come and you will receive X, Y, and Z. Come and different things will happen. And there's different examples of how we might relate our own theology into, into that. So let's watch out for that. But then we have the, the Greeks looking for wisdom and feeling that the, the message of Christ crucified was foolishness. To them, this just doesn't seem to make any sense. Why would the God of heaven send his one and only son to die a cruel and disrespectful death on a cross. 
it's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? But in that context, that was the most cursed thing. Scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was a despisable thing. So therefore the Greeks are saying, how can the perfect God and this almighty God you're talking about connect himself to a sacrifice on a cross? But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul is pointing back to stop philosophizing, stop coming to God with your baggage, whether that's some of your so-called religious baggage, where you're looking for signs and different things that you expect to see, or whether you're coming with your human wisdom. Paul is saying, get rid of that and focus on Christ. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. But I would also say to you that only God by his spirit can reveal these things to someone, can't he? Can he? When someone hears the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts like we see happening in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. Peter stood up and preached and what happened? The Holy Spirit of God was given and worked in the situation and the people said, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized. But the Holy Spirit convicts. So when we're praying for our family, our friends, our community, we're praying in the name of Jesus for God's spirit to accompany the preaching of his word so that hearts are convicted, eyes are opened, and they come to a knowledge of the truth. Then as we practical dive into Paul reminding the church of where they came from so that they could stay grounded. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, it doesn't say that no one was influential in the original church and none were of noble birth or wise by human standards, but it says not many. So it's not saying it's sinful and wrong for a Christian to have a, a relatively high position in society or have wisdom by human standards. But it's interesting that the Church of Jesus Christ that was being birthed was attracting people who probably knew they were sinners and knew they were in need of a saviour. Because it can be a stumbling block to people when they think they've got everything worked out, can't it? It is a stumbling block to us if we think we don't need God. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Really important point, isn't it? We can't receive salvation from God unless we humble ourselves. There's a modern hymn by Chris Tomlin and it talks, it talks about Jesus Christ and it says, he humbled himself and carried his cross. And we know as well from the scripture that Jesus humbled himself even to come to earth and take on the human body and live this life. He humbled himself unto death on a cross. 
even though people said people are cursed on there, he humbled himself down. So how can we come to, if God did that for us and he humbled himself and moved through to salvation, he expects the very least of us to do the same. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a saviour. I humble myself before you and ask you to forgive me. I can bring you nothing. There's nothing I can do to make myself right with you. I cling to the cross. I cling to what you've done for me. Amen. I rejoice in this message and I hope you just are reminded today of how wonderful this grace is, this unmerited favour. That a child like Bethany can say yes to Jesus and God's forgiveness comes to her. Once and for all. Amen. When I was seven years old, gave my life to Christ, once and for all, saved. Sins dealt with. All by God's grace, not by works, so that nobody can boast before him. If God is truly to be God, then people must bow before him. Amen. Can I suggest to you that these idols, people were not bowing. They made them. They stood above them. Man-made. Standing above the very gods they claim to be God, but no God is God if you're not bowing. And he's greater than you are. So I think it's just a wee reminder today that we should reverence God and as believers continue to bow and recognize how awesome he is, how wonderful he is, and that his message is the power of God for salvation. And we don't need to add anything to it of ourselves. And we certainly shouldn't take anything away. But our position of reverence to God is really important so that God's pleased with us in terms of how we're doing things. Amen. If I come up here and I boast about myself for 30 minutes and I talk for one minute about Jesus Christ, then I'm sinning as a Christian. Amen. Paul is so keen here to say, you can't go wrong if you preach Christ. You can't go wrong if you preach the gospel. Get the balance right. And then there'll be no boasting because all the focus is on Christ. All the focus is on the gospel. All the focus is on God's word. And none of it is unhealthily on other people. Which is actually what's been causing divisions in this early church because they've been elevating Apollos. Isn't Apollos wonderful? What a preacher he is. Well, he's not God. So therefore, that kind of thing is not helpful in the church. You are in Christ Jesus there, verse 29, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. It's wonderful, isn't it? We're going to meet around communion. John's going to lead us in that. I'm thankful to John for doing that, leading us after this. If we let that verse sink in, Christ Jesus has become for us the wisdom from God. His life is the example to us of how God wants us to be. How he wants life to be lived. His words are straight from God. Helps us to understand his character. He's also our righteousness, his blood shed for us on the cross, his death as we receive that. We are washed clean of sin. Wonderful truth that, isn't it? Made righteous, made right in God's sight. Wonderful. A sinner washed by the blood of the Lamb, as the, these hymn writers said. Being able to be 
right, as we said earlier on, we are worshipping a holy God today. And the only reason we are able to do that in spirit and truth is through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And it's very special. And it's very privileged. And he finishes with, therefore, as it is written, because of all this, because of our great God, because of everything he's done, let, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. And this is just me finishing, so I don't want to not go too much longer. I just feel that I was going to focus on that passage, but Paul applies it to himself in 1 Corinthians 2, just as an illustration of what he means here. And he says, verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There's a lot in that scripture, and I do encourage you to, I've been obviously reading through Corinthians and listening to it in audio Bible. I encourage you to do the same and just let it soak over you as we go through these uh, this series in the church. But Paul has been very careful here not to be clever with things, not to try and do what those Greek philosophers are doing in Corinth. We've got enough of the fancy speakers in Corinth at this point in time. It doesn't necessarily mean that Paul has not prepared being before the Lord, being in prayer, going with the Holy Spirit's encouragement and preaching a really, really excellent sermon. I'm sure it would have been. But what he's not doing is embellishing it with performance. Amen? He's not embellishing it with cleverness. He's letting God's word be read, God's word be proclaimed, and he's explaining it, but not with cleverness and not with fancy techniques or tricks in terms of his speaking style. So he's been very conscious that it's not about him. The last thing he wants is for people to go, I follow Paul. <laughs> Even the church is saying that. That's a disaster, isn't it? If you plant a church of Jesus Christ and 18 months later, they're saying, I follow Paul instead of saying, I follow Christ, something's badly wrong. So he's been careful when he's came to them to try and elevate Christ. And we see that even when he's done that, the church has still stumbled into worldly things after he's left them. It just shows you how easy it is, isn't it? For us to get our eyes off the Lord and our eyes onto things that are not priority or not helpful. Another thing that's probably encouraging to all of us here is that sometimes we think, I can't speak for the Lord because I'm fearful and I am trembling and I'm afraid. But we read what Paul said I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. We could ponder why he might have felt that way. I think one of the things is Paul knows how great a sinner he was. Saul, persecuting the church, trained as a Jew in the law, saw himself as blameless. He found out in the road to Damascus he was far from blameless. He was actually persecuting the Lord of heaven. And that was a shock to Paul, wasn't it? What a conversion. And I think that the heaviness of that, I am a sinner. He says, I am the chief of sinners elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul knew how much a sinner he was. And it humbled him. And I think if you feel that way, then it's a good evidence that you've been truly saved. Because 
You can't be saved unless you repent and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need you. But God lifts us from there by his grace and mercy and says, get up, Paul, preach the good news. Because I've saved you, I've rescued you, move on. But there's a balance of still knowing your human weakness and knowing your tendency to sin and the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace that balances someone as a Christian so that they don't get a big head. Yeah? So if you feel I'm not able, that's a really good sign, let me tell you, that you're probably on the right track. <laughs> because actually you're a genuine believer who knows that they're, they're weak and knows that they need God's help. And you're the very person God's going to help. Do you know that? God will say, my grace is sufficient for you because I'll help you in your weakness. Because when you feel weak, then you're strong. Which one of us have known that in our lives? I'm sure I could go around the room and we'd all say that. How God has helped us day by day to do things we could never have done without his strength. And because Paul's not adding to things and he's not trying to be clever with wise and persuasive words, God's Spirit's power was able to be demonstrated so that your faith might not rest on my human wisdom, my cleverness, but that your faith might rest on God's power. Amen? So your testimony is a big deal, okay? One of the best ways to share someone the gospel is to say, I, Graham, was a sinner, and here's what happened. I believed in Christ as my saviour, and here's how he's moved in my life, and yes, I'm not perfect, but look at the, the joy and the peace of salvation that we have now, the fact that I know I'm going to heaven, right? There are statements like that that you can say, to, any one of us can say, my sins are forgiven, I've been given new life, I've been given the Holy Spirit through Jesus, I know he's still working on me, but I know I'm guaranteed heaven. Now that's a good news story every one of us can share in simplicity, isn't it? And people will see the evidence of God's power in your life because people don't have that kind of peace. Don't they not? Without Christ, you don't have that kind of peace. You don't have security about eternity. Things that we might be taking for granted sometimes. Share that with someone. Nicholas Grander Bill likes that hymn, We'll All Be There. And as he's been ill recently, I was at his bedside, and that's what I was quoting to him. Bill, remember the song? We'll all be there. He goes, I know. But we know, and we can testify to it, and it's powerful. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power when a believer has that in their heart. And people are going to look at you when you say that and go, what is that? Well, it's God's power at work in your life. So, just to close, I hope you'll be encouraged. Not just in your own experience, but as you're going to be a witness for Christ. Because we're all called to be witnesses. And as things do start to open up now and we've got these opportunities to interact with people a bit more, let's think about our responsibility to focus on the main things. Firstly, preach the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. It says that in Romans chapter 1 as well. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, was raised again in the third day according to the scriptures. My Papa Adam used to quote that on a Sunday at the breaking of bread. But lovely. 
It's the simple truth of the matter. Believe it, speak it, share it. It's the power of God that will save people. And then focus on Christ. Important for us individually, very important for us in the church to keep Christ at the center because he is the power of God and the wisdom of God fully demonstrated, fully in action in salvation and the head of the church. And thirdly, just a, a sort of a warning and a reminder based on the scripture that human wisdom divides, but God's wisdom unites. So we live in a society right now where it's almost as if you can have any opinion you like and every opinion is right. Yeah? You can have any worldview you like. <laughs> Just don't tell me there's only one truth. Don't tell me there's an absolute truth. I can have one truth. But human wisdom divides. It just creates theories and ways of life and ways of thinking that just cause division and more division and more division and more division and takes people away from God. But God's wisdom unites. Why? Because there's one God. There's one mediator between God and us and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why the centrality of Christ, the centrality of the gospel unites us both as believers in Christ, but it unites us when we evangelize the world as well. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're going to worship God around the communion table today, and I just encourage you to have your juice and your bread at home as well. And it's a perfect example of where Jesus was using this command to his disciples to say, don't forget the centrality of me. Remember me. And remember my body broken for you. And remember my blood shed for you. Don't take your eye off that. Because that's what brings you together. That's what makes you a church. And that's what makes you operate in your salvation experience. So this round the table is a great reminder and a step of obedience for us to say, thank you, Jesus. And help us in our fellowship and in our lives to honour you according to your plan. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage in 1 Corinthians. And we just pray that it might be helpful for the building up of your kingdom in my life and all of our lives. We thank you, Father, that when we read your word, things become clear. Things that we are confused about in the world, things that frustrate us or our difficulties in the world become clear when we look at your book and thank you father that this example of the church in Corinth and all of these complicated and wrong worldviews and the preaching of your gospel breaking through and saving lives is a demonstration of your power and we thank you father that you seek to do that today here in this church in New Beginnings here in Moody'sburn in our families with our friends and our communities. So Father, we're praying that you would help us to take the low seat and just realizing that we simply share Jesus and we share the gospel message and we pray for your power to work in it by the power of your spirit. I thank you for everybody here in the hall and online and also those who, who can't make it here today. We pray that as a fellowship, you might build us up in the faith, might help us to love you more 
And we pray, Lord, you'll just detangle anything from, from my heart and any of our hearts that is not helpful, Father. We recognize that in that church at Corinth, there were just some things getting in that were not helpful. They were taking people into division. So we just pray, Father, that you'll help us not to do that. So that when we speak to the world, we speak to folks about Jesus, that we have a clear channel and a clear testimony. We thank you for places like the coffee house that you've given to us to reach the community one of the ways locally, Father. And we pray that those who volunteer might have the mind of Christ and the, your Holy Spirit's guarding and protection over the witness there. We pray that for all of the all of the ministries associated with this fellowship as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.